Welcome to this Ocean Life Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Thanks for being here. In today's episode number 75, we connect back with a part two with one of my favorite spear fishermen around, David Ochoa. We hear stories from the past six months since him and I last spoke of guiding and filming spearfishing trips around the world. Now, David takes us through his time scouting and leading spearfishing trips in epic places like Madagascar, Mexico, the Azores, Panama, and Indonesia. David describes his version of fish paradise in Indo, sharing stories of huge fish in pristine waters. We hear stories of New Zealand and of David's massive yellowtail or king, depending on where you are and how you call these fish, wrapping up at about 40 meters deep and the group effort it took to bring the fish back to the boat. David talks about his recent film, Agua Negra, the movie, which I love, and connecting with the Red Bull film crew to film their events. So, as always, David provides an amazing perspective on maintaining respect for the ocean, the fish we take, and the people we visit in all of our travels. A lot of great perspective here from a man of the water who knows a thing or two about fish and spearing them. <laughs> so, hope you're all getting out and enjoying the water. If you're out taking fish, only take what you need, be respectful, and of course, see some plastic, pick it up, cut back on the plastic usage. Let's enjoy it all together. With that, back into the ocean life of David Ochoa. David, welcome back to this Ocean Life podcast, man. Thank you very much for having me again. And uh, yeah, stoked to catch up with you, man. It has been a yeah, while. Yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate your, you making time and everything. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I, this is like the, uh, I don't know, 70-something episode and you're one of the the guy the folks I've listened to or listened to that I've had on who I just keep following on Instagram almost every day, dude, because you're <laughs> always posting the most insane shots from the most insane places with like the most insane fish. And uh, so I'm stoked to hear about what you've been up to this since about eight months or so since we last talked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can even tell. But yeah, it goes by fast, real fast. Yeah, yeah, no, way too <laughs> fast. So let me just recap. So, you know, um, we left off, David, and we a big chunk of the time we spent talking was about this epic, rad movie, Agua Negra, that you made that's on Vimeo. I still have it. I swear it's like my go-to, like when I'm in an airport and I have nothing nuts, like I'll just throw that on and I'm in like a shitty mood and just get get all excited of you know <laughs> um yeah. movie, your tale of how you made that and the people the places it's rad so for folks listening um I'll, I'll throw a link to that podcast episode with you and then also about your life and everything so but where we left off too was you had this lineup of you're not just making movies you're also guiding uh, spearfishing trips and yeah. locations around the world man so start by telling us what you're doing, I mean, is it like on your own? Do you have your own company? Do you work for somebody? You're jumping around all over the world. So just talk about the guiding, that what that is first, and then we'll start talking about the locations and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's maybe we can start off exactly where we, we left. Um, so we did the film, Aguanegra, and um, our expectations were none. Uh, both me and Ricardo, we just wanted to make a cool story. We were more than comfortable to not only not have any profit, but actually have to spend our money, you know, not only on trips, but even after the trips, even after the editing was done, you still got to pay for music rights and design and like little things, but in the end, it all adds up. Um, and then also 
thanks a lot to people like you. Um, the film kind of blew up a little to our own little scale. And yeah. uh, we managed to cover all of our costs. We managed to get like some decent profit out of it. And nice. way more than that, um, that opened the doors for us to start working with Red Bull. Um, and uh, yeah, now in Portugal, like both me and Ricardo, actually Ricardo has been working a lot more on that because I've been traveling so much. But uh, yeah, we become like Red Bull project managers. Uh, wow. Ricardo just filming with uh, like, you know, Mike Stewart from Bodyboarding? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. legend. He's like the guy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ricardo was just filming with him in Iceland like a few months ago. And um, we have a bunch of cool projects coming up with Red Bull. Uh, we also invested in a red, which is quite a big thing, a red camera. Um, wow. Yeah, and, and these are just like a few of the things that, um, yeah, I mean, some of the doors that I would never open to us, which was, yeah, yeah really, That's really cool. cool. Very unanticipated. Like you said, you're making this really epic film about it you know that uh, tell a story and from there just like these yeah. amazing things happen so then yeah. Dave as a project manager for Red Bull so you're you're shooting film uh of all kinds of different sports the different Red Bull athletes and stuff is that is yeah. that what you guys are doing? Yeah. um so um Ricardo is um he covered uh, Red Bull cliff diving uh on water photography which was cool um, and then uh, we're doing um, like uh, cars racing, um, BMX, bodyboarding, and what else do we have this year? Oh, and hockey. Uh, we're doing something with, with Elder, which is like a big hockey player in Portugal. Um, and hopefully this is just the start. You know, we have a few projects that are looking good, but... I mean, now it is investments, and if we can be at the level that they want us to be, um, yeah, I hope it's just the beginning of something that will just yeah. grow to like bigger things. Yeah. And then also because of that, um, which goes more into what I'm doing now, um, Agonegra also opened the door for me to start working with Hex, um, the, the website. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think it was it wasn't too long after we talked. Um, but yeah, I was hired to come to New Zealand to film um, a short documentary with uh, Ryan Myers and Justin Lee. And um, yeah, we did like a short story on spearfishing competition, but um, a little bit different than than usual. Something that shows what goes behind uh you know all the scouting all the preparation um yeah you see a lot of that fish at the end of a competition day but that's such a small small part yeah. of what a competition is is all about and actually like yeah. these guys will spend a lot of time diving without shooting anything just to mm. try to understand where the fish are so right. something a bit different yeah, I love that experience so much that uh, yeah, I somehow convinced my girlfriend to come here and spend a whole year <laughs> just wow. exploring New Zealand. <laughs> wow, man! So you so you came here, you came to New Zealand to do that that documentary, and then did you that you just ended up staying? Yeah, and make it make it your home, your base camp, kind of. Yeah, so I did the documentary, um, and 
I spent one month here. Uh, of course, it's a short time, but I kind of got the vibe of the place and the people, and it seemed like a nice place. And um, both me and my girl, we, we always talked about spending one year either in New Zealand or Australia. Actually, we, we wanted to go to Australia first. Um, but then, I mean, we had good friends here. We had a place to come and stay. We had help, like, just to get us started. Uh, the country is amazing. So... I finished that talk, um, went to Madagascar <laughs> for three months, um, sure. guiding trips, and then went to Portugal for a month, which was just enough for us to like kind of organize. And then while I went to Mexico on another trip, filming trip, um, she came to New Zealand by herself. So she ended up staying like one month here. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, then I arrived and we started like getting settled and um, cool. yeah, I've been having like a lot of different projects. So yeah, I can have my base pretty much anywhere. Uh, it doesn't really make a difference. She got an awesome job here. Um, kind of made sense. So yeah, one year, good experience. Dude, that sounds great, man. That sounds way cool. So I'm going to start ticking through these different places and asking some stuff but to start one of the, the i'm curious to get your thoughts on the hex the hex suit so first by we had a um you may know him he's got a his name's forrest galante yeah yep he, um, he came on and and he i love a little bit after you actually but he hit he we were talking about the hex because i'm actually thinking about getting one but I, I love just chatting about it you know you as a guy who's been in the water chasing fish forever um mm -hmm. all kinds of different fish what do you notice, like, the difference? And this is, I'm not trying to make a hex, like, commercial here, but I'm just curious, know. your perspective, like, the difference, how would you describe the difference um, interacting with the animals, not just fish, but animals yeah. in general, in the water when you're wearing the hex system? Yeah, um, I'm always very, very honest about this. Um, first of all, I think, especially, like, if you're hunting smart fish and stuff like that, um, fish have way too many uh, sensors or they're sensible yeah. to a lot of different things. Um, so, and, and they also speak about this, but even if you have a hex wetsuit, um, if you still like, if you're a noisy hunter or, I mean, fish can still hear you, fish can still clearly see you. Um, and to be honest, in my opinion, the more important thing is body language while you're mm -hmm. underwater. Um, yeah. Certain fish will react in different ways to what you're doing. Um, right. So I think this is the very main, main thing. Uh, mm. Cases that I felt that it really make a difference, um, I feel with lobsters it makes quite a difference. Um, I would compare maybe... Um, I don't know if you have if you used it before, but you know, like those metallic little things with a hook in the end uh, that people yeah. little gaff. Yeah, yeah. Get the, to get them out of the cracks. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you probably notice, like, if you touch them with a, like a, an inanimate object, something that it's not alive, they really don't don't move away from it. You can like touch them with like the end of your spear, and they would yeah. kind of like go away, but they don't get really scared. And then if you yeah. touch them with your hand. They, they really, they go crazy. Um, I would compare a little bit to mm. that. Um, yep. it, it helps. Um, 
for the spearfishing side of it, I think it's something that it definitely doesn't hurt to have. There might be like a few specific scenarios where it might help. Uh, but I think that technique, understanding, mm -hmm. being able to uh, make the right decisions, that's way more important than anything yeah. you might have. So okay. awesome wetsuit, great cut, great quality. Uh, yeah. Technology might help in some situations, um, but there's there's way more important things, I feel, um, that you need to take in, in consideration. Uh, yeah, is, yeah. Like, land, I don't know, I don't hunt on land, I cannot really tell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it also helps with charts, it's good, like, they, they don't feel as much, but then again, you might have a hex, but if you're if you're not behaving as you should, yeah, uh, yeah, not that's still the more important more. thing. Yeah, yeah, I got it, man. No, that's that's good perspective. Uh, so then let's talk about Madagascar. So you spent three months there after we spoke last, and you're guiding basically spirit. So talk about that. I mean, are you working with a um, like a, a charter company, and you were taking people out on a boat? I mean, I saw some pictures of the boats. Some of the nice boats you're you're out on are insane, man. It looks like a vacation. I know it's not. You're working hard, but this is like a pretty legit deal. So, so talk about your three months in Madagascar. What was that yeah. like? Um, so these three months were actually my second season. Uh, I spent six months there before. Um, and this, um, it's a mix of two things. So I work with Extreme Water Spearfishing, which is uh, like a recognized spearfishing charters company. Um, and I do a lot of things through them. Um, and then I also do a lot of things through my own channels. And a lot of times we can even mix up. For example, when I was in Madagascar, I was legally, I was working for extreme water spear fishing, but then I have my own clients that travel with me to different places so I can bring them on this like yeah. guided trip. So it's, uh, it's, it has been a very, very nice collaboration and, um, it has been a mix of two different kinds of trips. Um, so on one side, we have been doing like sort of like budget trips, you know, something that you can uh, sell at a pretty affordable price, group of friends, especially if there's like three or four friends, uh, they can easily like share their costs. And um, that's one part of what we do. Um, and then those those photos that you've been seeing with like all those big badass boats and planes and yeah. all that stuff. Um, then I've also been doing uh, like really high-end trips, um, targeting people with uh, a bit more money. Mm -hmm. um, and those trips, um, those are like super, super, super tailor-made trips. Um, we go there before the clients arrive, we scout the places, everything is planned like to the very last, last detail. Really? When you do that right, to be honest, you're saying that it's it looks like vacation, but I work really hard. You do have oh, yeah. preparation, but when when people are there, I mean, we are so so lucky to have people. I don't know, like have people that travel with me maybe seven or eight times now, and it just become like really good friends. Of course, you want to offer them the best you can, and especially when it comes to preparation, there's a lot of work. But then when you're there, either guiding or filming, uh, it's it's a really, really, really cool experience. And uh, it's something that took me, I mean, 
this would have been my wildest dream when I was like 15. Uh, yeah. Tell me that maybe I'll travel twice uh, per year uh, to like a really cool location to be able to dive. This would have been like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't yeah. even believe you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've been investing so much in this. Um, and I mean, there's it's, it's always a bit of a gamble, you know, it's not your typical uh, nine to five job. I mean, I'm my own boss. Uh, if I decide not to work today, or for the next three months, nobody's going to tell me anything. Like, right. <laughs> um, but then you'll also don't get paid. So yeah, that's uh, right. My boss is really nice. He lets me do whatever I want, but then he <laughs> also takes the freedom not to pay me when I don't work. That's uh, right. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it has been great. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. So when you um. So these each individual trip, I mean, are they kind of focused on a certain type of fish? I mean, I know they're seasonal, so you're going to a certain location in a certain type of year where there's going to be a certain set or group of species of different types of fish to target. And so it might be blue water, might be reef fish. I mean, so you're basically, um, like you said, you scout it out, you get a feel for where, what the fish are doing. So when these guys roll in, you have, you know, you're, you're informed, you have a pretty good shot at putting them on the fish. And because that's ultimately what they're really, your, your job is, is to really help them out, get, get the fish that they're after. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, I speak of it like quite blithely because I love doing it. But um, yeah, when I, when I talk about scouting, for example, uh, each destination, uh, way in advance, Madagascar is a good example. Um, you need to spend time to understand what's happening. Um, and for example, on any destination, like I'll have a very detailed document of seasons, tides, for example, Madagascar, mm. the tides play like a major, major, major difference. If you go to the right place with the wrong tide, you don't see anything um, because mm. they're on... Reef fish might change a little, but especially blue water, you're relying yeah. on that upwelling effect of the current hitting the drop-offs in, in the reefs. And that's what generates bait and, and all of those things uh, that then will attract those biggest fish. Um, so, yeah, that that's a big part. Um, and then, I mean, you can never really control if there's going to be fish or not. You can do everything to make sure that you're at the right place at the right time, but then there's always, I mean, nature will decide. Um, and if you do this right and people understand that you're, you're putting the time and effort, then it really, it all comes down to having fun because a trophy fish is something that it's such a, a vague term, like, I can be stoked on a fish that other persons won't, you know, mm -hmm. and I take a lot of people that are just beginning and if they get like a 10 kilos doggy, that, that's amazing. And that fish is as valuable as a huge doggy in, in another part of the world. Um, yeah. So it's, it has been a fun balance between, of course, you have the pressure of being competent and of course you want to make your best to put fish, uh, people on fish. Uh, but then at the end of the day, it's really about being able to, to organize cool experiences. Mm -hmm. you know, 
super nice guy. If people enjoy, if people have fun, even other activities, go jigging, go fish with rod and reel, yeah. go something. Uh, just have a good time. Um, and yeah, I mean, it has been a very, very fun process so far. Yeah, uh, sounds awesome, man. Um, now, when you're out in Madagascar for three months, like you said, you're not always with clients. So there's time when you're scouting and all other times you're probably out on your own. So the three months recently you were there, what was the best fish you got or the most memorable fish that you got for yourself? Yeah, so the first the first cool fish that, that I saw that, that was funny, um, we went there and then, as I told you, even – even though we had been there before, uh, I took quite a bit of time to go scouting just to go see like what's happening. Um, and sometimes when instead of taking the boat from the company and having expenses, I would go with friends. And I went with this friend of mine and they were scuba diving. Uh, and I didn't even bring any guns. I was just filming. And um, we saw a couple of like really solid yellow fins, like maybe 60, 70 kilos. Just yeah. Well, a bank ball, uh, which is something that it's quite rare. Like yellowfins in Madagascar, it was the first and the last time I've seen yellowfins there. Wow. And it was dude, like it was right in front of our house. You could have shore dived there. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Shallow. Fishy at all. At all. Like you struggle to get something <laughs> to eat, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that was cool. Um, and then the coolest fish that I got was my first sailfish oh nice and and that was quite a crazy crazy story um yeah tell well, us please yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> we were in, in caster bank and um i again were with a group of guys that traveled with me before and it's not you know it's not like a client relationship just going with friends yeah. of course yeah. i have to do my part but everybody's super chill um and we were having kind of like a slow day and um, Castor Bank is this huge bank uh, northwest of Nozibi. It's almost as big as the island where we are um, and it changes a lot with currents. So basically we were on the inside of the bank and because of the current we had to go to the outside of the bank. So this means that you have to cross the bank like all the way to the other side of the drop. Mm. And the bank is pretty much like flat with sands. Um, so as we were crossing, like the perfect, perfect day, completely glass, crystal clear water, more than 30 meters visibility. And as Jeez. we're going, yeah, as we're getting to, to the other side in this completely random area, it was just sand with like some patches of wheat. Um, I saw like that typical like sail out of the water on the surface, just like cruising. Um, and I mean, a lot of times you have these sightings and the fish will just swim away. So most people don't even bother, but you could tell that the fish was really, really calm. So we turned back and the fish was like kind of bit in the distance. And I told the guys like, oh, like someone jump, you know, I was getting the camera and I don't know, like the guys were, I guess they were kind of having a break to eat and yeah. everything just had like a sandwich and I don't know. They weren't really stoked to give it a try. So I was like, can I go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They said like, yeah, 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 sure. Like, yeah, go give it a try. Um, and, um, and I had seen like quite a few before and like we put some, some clients on selfish, but I never shot one. So I jumped in with a real gun and 
I have like such a sick, sick view because the fish was on the surface in the distance, but you could see that like the sail was all like open yeah, yeah. and you could def you could see like I would look at the fish and then I would look like over the surface and you could see the, the sail. That's cool. cool. And the fish wasn't reacting to me at all. He was just like kind of cruising and like chasing some, some little fish. Um, so I was trying to chase it without being over aggressive. But I mean, just to keep within like range of, of seeing it, dude, I was burning my legs for, I don't yeah. know, like 10, 12 minutes to the point that some of the guys jumped in the water, tried to chase the fish with me, got tired, came back to the boat. I'm still chasing the fish. And just think like, this is my opportunity. It's something you don't get every time. Just keep chasing it. Because every now and then he would like turn and just check me out and then like keep going. Uh, and then, yeah, like one of the times the fish kind of like turned to the left, just looked on the corner of its eye. And I went for like a really long shot. And yeah, I managed to hit it. Fish takes off, real gun fight. And then, yeah, the usual. But yeah, super lucky, beautiful fish. Wow. Really moment because it's such a beautiful fish and i mean it's beautiful to eat we smoked it it's amazing but it's one of those fish that i really wanted to shoot one but mm -hmm. uh, once you get yours uh i mean i think now i would rather like just go and film them i might right. shoot them again but it's it's quite a fish and i spent some time just like looking at it and being like thankfully it was a special moment yeah that's cool man so beautiful and so majestic like the whole thing that it didn't just spook and bail that you could and i can imagine too like your point of view most of the time is well when you're anybody spearfishing is you're in your head's underwater that's where you see the fish when you pick, pick poke your head above water you don't see anything you know yeah and here you were, <laughs> like i could imagine crystal clear water hot sunny and you're like seeing this gorgeous fish in the water looking up and seeing the sail out of the water must have been this a totally unique yeah. perspective yeah and it was all lit up like blue and purple with greenish i'll, I'll send you some photos it's oh. super super sick and, uh, yeah so, nice nice okay so madagascar's one um Mexico, you were after Cabrera down there. I saw a lot of cool yeah. pictures. And you said you got one of your clients was 13 years old and he lost a big old marlin. What was that about? Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Um, so Mexico was one of these uh, high-end trips with, with the family that we've traveled before and that will travel this year. They're amazing, amazing people. Um, and... So first we, we got to, to Baja um, and we were working with, with Palapas and they were taking, taking care of everything. Um, so we had like some spots, but I still went way in advance. I got there, I don't know, like a good two and a half, maybe even three weeks before everybody arrived. Um, and then I've never shot a Cubera. So that was like my main thing. And, and I would have time for that. So yep. Um, I dove in some places that you would see them really challenging, hard to get. You have to dive deep. You have to to wait, and yeah, even then when you take a shot, they're they're crazy powerful. So I had a hard time getting like big cubaras. I got a twenty kilos fish, and um, and then one day um, we were just diving this 
random place uh, around like 20 meters deep with like some little patches of rock, but it wasn't like anything great, murky, bad visibility. Anyways, I dive down. I think it was my first, yeah, maybe like my second dive because it was bad visibility. So I would just like, you know, dive until maybe 12 meters, just kind of scan the bottom, go with the current and just mm -hmm. look for the And I see this proper like big size grouper, the, those golf groupers, never shot one before either. Managed to get close enough, shot the fish. And then there were like some little rocks on my left and it was just sand on my right. And I shoot the fish and the fish takes off into the sand, which is something that it's not mm. really common for groupers. Usually shoot them and they just go and they smash yeah. like first piece of rock that they see. Um, so I feel the grouper just taking off to the sand and then eventually cut the line. Because, uh, you know, even though I cannot see it, like I felt getting loose and then pull it back. So I got this weird vibe because, I mean, for this grouper to go like straight into the sand, that means that oh. maybe there's going to be some structure. Uh, yeah. So imagine like some current, bad visibility. You cannot really see the bottom. It's 20 meters, not crazy deep, but I mean, you have to dive to see the bottom. So I just try to follow the same path or the same direction that I saw the fish taking off. Just like making sure I was going in the right direction because, you know, you get your head out of the water, you talk with your friends yeah. and like you're, you're lost. Yep. So I did like two or three dives and then eventually I found this little ledge. It wasn't even, I don't know, maybe like one meter high, if much, maybe even less. Um, and I could see that there was like a bit of like sand, like on the, on the entrance of the crack that looks like, you know, something went underneath it. So I just called about mark the place. And then when I dive already with the second gun for the second shot, dude, the craziest, craziest view. As I get closer to, to the rock, I just start seeing like tiles or snappers. <laughs> dude, it was just completely covered with cuberas with more than like 30 kilos just no way stacked yeah to the point that i couldn't see the grouper and the grouper was there just <laughs> packed with fish um i look inside and there were some big cuberas but this grouper was bigger and you know i shot the fish so that should yeah. be yeah. priority <laughs> and i was just like oh where's the grouper where's the grouper oh but this is a really big career. No <laughs> just like trying to figure it out. And then I look over the ledge and I just see the grouper like taking off. Oh. Uh, I was lucky to get just a quick shot, like a 40 kilos fish, which is something really special, especially for that area. Yeah. And then <laughs> there were big bearers, a lot of them, but they were really, really, really calm. Like you could pull spear them. They, they would not yeah. move. You could, you could right. pet them. And it's not the first time this happens to me. When I see fish like that, it really turns me off. Yeah. And I lose interest on, on shooting them if they're just there, which is kind of dumb because I just shot a 20 kilos square that was way harder and I could shoot something that would be way bigger. But I don't know, it just turned me off. I had a lot of fun just filming them. Uh, I'll send you some, some shots of that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there were a couple guys with me at the time. They shot a couple fish nothing huge and we left the place untouched for when like the main guests would come right right so this guy never shot a cover in his life never even seen a cover in his life goes there and he shot a 33.2 which is the second biggest cover ever shot like 
on that area with Palapas. And I mean, people wow. love the area every time. Yeah. Um, so a part of me was like kind of bummed, like, eh. I mean, it was a big fish. <laughs> Maybe I could have shot like at least a big one. Um, but on the other side, I mean, it's cool just to go there, film. And yeah, when you don't feel like the need to shoot, just don't yeah. do it. <laughs> right. No, I get it. And it, that's interesting uh, because like, at that point, you're like basically like a kid in a candy store. You're sitting there, you have all these huge fish swimming around you, but they're so docile and it kind of takes the fun out of the pursuit. It's almost that you're not really hunting. You're kind of farming at that point. They're just like hanging out with you. You could just probably stab yeah. them with a knife. You're like, this is not really yeah. hunting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have that feeling. Um, and then you asked about the, the marlin. That was also yeah. a story that I, I clearly messed up. Um, <laughs> so we were, where were we? I don't remember the name, but we were on this like faraway pinnacle uh, in Baja. And um, end of the day, a lot of fish were seeing wahoos, tons of bait, also tons of snapper, this beautiful, beautiful place, saw some big yellow fins as well. Um, and Eric, was with this kid and I was just filming because uh, I go as a cameraman on a lot of these trips and you do like both you can guide and film but sometimes I focus more on filming and then have someone else taking care of safety and everything um, so Eric was with with this kid with Tomash and um, so you have the pinnacle and you drift over the pinnacle or around the pinnacle but basically it's kind of standard like you drop up current you yep. start going closer to the reef, you see the bait, whether it's on top of the reef or around. And then after you've been over the reef for, I don't know, 300 meters, usually like you stop your drift and then you reset. Mm. So we went over the reef, didn't see anything. Um, my job is just to stay next to the cast and film. And I was like, eh, I mean, we've been over the reef. The boat was like already picking us up. Uh, and I saw like these stupid jellyfish and I dove and I'm just like filming this jellyfish in the blue, like all happy. And then I just hear like the shot. And you can tell when it's a big fish taking off, you can hear it. You know, it's yeah. easy and because you're like. <clears throat> and as soon as I hear the click and the fish taking off, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you were filming the jellyfish. <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed to be filming the jellyfish. Um <laughs> Yeah, I just, I didn't even see the fish. The fish just takes off. I just see this buoy going crazy after the fish. Um, and yeah, then Eric told me that it was a really good shot. Um, but yeah, it was a Robalan 140 and it was a really wow. big fish. They reckon like over 300 kilos. Uh, and, and Eric, like he knows, he has seen a lot of big fish. So when, when they say it's, it's a big fish, you know. It's it's something mm -hmm. special, uh, and yeah, unfortunately, the fish pulled pulled out the shaft didn't go all the way through. Yep. Uh, which hopefully it means that the fish won't die. Um, and yeah, that that was that was a fun trip as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I bet they give you a bunch of shit back on the boat, just jokingly, Dude. you know. <laughs> they still do. They still. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the, uh, your podcast app and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories, 
uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and uh, have a great day.